Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. So uh, last week, Pastor Brian uh, gave us this incredible message. I don't know if you're like me. I needed last week, uh, I needed that reminder of to just keep going. Uh, the, the, the task can be daunting at times. And that's why we kind of find Nehemiah's, he's kind of surveyed what's going on and to rebuild this wall and everything for the most part has been going really well for Nehemiah. He's asked the king for permission to do this. He's at, he's, the king's given him abundance of resources to be able to accomplish this. What stands, what we find out in chapter three, chapter, thank goodness I didn't get to have to teach chapter three because there's a lot of names that I stand no shot at pronouncing. No shot. I can barely pronounce like typical English names and some Hebrew names, no shot. But we find really what the Hebrews or the Israelites, when they go back to build this wall, it's not that they're, it's not like they have immense amounts of talent when it comes to building we, there's actually like some people building the wall that their main job is they make perfume. And so if you're like in the construction business, you're not like resourcing people that like are crushing up flower petals and creating perfume to go build this expansive wall, right? You're going to look for the big burly men that can lift heavy things and do the hard task. But what I love is in chapter three, we see that God does incredible things with the least likely but not to preach on that. In chapter four, we're gonna find that God, God's people come up against their first real, uh, they are faced with their first task of op- opposition. So if you would read with me, chapter four, uh, starting verse one, it says, now when uh, Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of the brothers of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they receive stone or will they revive stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And Tobiah, the Ammonite, beside him, he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Let's stop there for a second. So you have these two men who are onlookers. They're from different nations outside of Israel and they're, they're coming and they're, they're frustrated because what's happening here is the people of God are rebuilding the city of God and it stands a threat against the other nations surrounding. So you have these two men that show up, these onlookers, frustrated about what is going on and they're trying to assert their authority by mocking Nehemiah and the people of Israel. I mean, look at it. What are these feeble Jews doing? He's literally saying, what are these frail, pathetic people trying to accomplish? As I told you in chapter three, we see that these these people are not the most likely 
um, candidates for building a wall. So Sanballat is trying to press on that. He's trying to, to tear them down mentally. Will they restore it for themselves? Can they, can they even do this alone? Like, is it possible that these people in their inabilities, their weakness, their, their frail, their frailness, or can they do this? Will they sacrifice? He's literally saying they're gonna need some type of God to show up and do something for them. Will they finish in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? So you gotta remember, Jerusalem has been ransacked. It's been destroyed and the walls have been torn down and they don't have enough time to go quarry the stones to rebuild the wall with brand new stones. So they're reusing what they have. And so he's trying to get into their minds. Hear the sarcasm in these questions. Some of them are legitimate questions, but they're also just pointed at them. Can they, can you do this? Like, look at you. There's no way that you can accomplish this. Have you seen who you are? And he's attempting to destroy them. And then he's got his little counter buddy that just, his bully friend that just piles it on. Tobiah and the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? Listen to this. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Do you hear the like hyperbole in this? Like if, a, if this little tiny animal, what they're doing is so pathetic, it's so weak, if a fox crawls up on it, it will just crumble. What I think is funny in studying this, archeologists have dug and they've discovered parts of the wall that Nehemiah built and it's nine foot in depth. So that's, that's a pretty intense wall. And right, like nine feet. We find out later that they, at the end of this, all the people of God get up on the, the wall and march around praising God. And Tobian's like, if a fox gets up on it, but do you hear it like, it's this mental warfare that is trying to engage in the people of God. And listen, because the reality is if you can get into someone's head, you can stop what they're doing. Mental warfare is a legitimate thing. If you can play games with your mind, if someone can play games with your mind, they can mess up everything that you're trying to do, all your plans. And the same's true when it comes to the mission of God. If our mission as a church is to saturate the world by making disciples, all the enemy has to do is say, really, you? Have you seen, do you know you? Do you know what you've been through, what you've done, who you are? These people all know you. And they get into your mind and they can accomplish things. The first thing I want you to see today is the work of God will always be met with opposition. The work of God will always be met with opposition. And that's what we're seeing as Nehemiah has been allowed, has permission from the king, has been resourced by the king. The nations see the threat of what Israel is trying to do in Jerusalem and they are threatened by it. And so they oppress them. And the same is true when it comes to us. So I think the question we have to ask when I'm reading this, why is Nehemiah, like, why? Why is he doing this? Why even continue in this? Like, because if you're mentally not strong, like if someone's calling you pathetic and weak, if you got do buddy talking about how foxes will just stand on your wall and destroy it, 
that can be a deflating thing. They're already seeing the, the vastness of this project and how it's going to be impossible to do unless God shows up. But we, I think we have to remember, Nehemiah is leading the people of God to rebuild the city of God so that God, Yahweh's name, can be made famous in the world, that people would look on and see the majesty and the beauty of who God is. This is where they're going to worship God. This is where the world would look and see the beauty and the the vastness of King Jesus. And so, this is the driving force behind Nehemiah. It's the driving force about why he continues to do what he's doing, why the, the attacks, the voices of the enemy, no matter how they cut, Nehemiah keeps going. Look at his response. Verse four. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of your builders. How about this prayer? Anyone else read what I just read? It's pretty intense. And you're like, Nehemiah's got a little fire in him. Are you gonna let them talk to us? You're gonna let them talk to you, God, like that? Do not cover their sin. Give them over to be plundered, to be destroyed, to be captives. And you're like, wow. But what I think we have to see is Nehemiah's praying that God would just show his character of his justice. That God is a just God. And I think it's interesting because we see Nehemiah respond differently here in chapter four than he did in chapter two. In chapter two, verse 19, when Sambalat and Tabian, or Tabian and uh, Geshem heard, they jeered at us. When they've heard what's happening, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Look at this. Nehemiah doesn't go to God, he goes to them this time. The God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So there's been this moment already where these two men have come before the people of Israel. Like, what are you doing? Like, do you not see that this is, like, you have no right to do this? And Nehemiah's response is to go to them. But now that the opposition has intensified, that they are now mocking them and threatening what God is trying to do, Nehemiah goes to God. And I think what we're seeing is Nehemiah mature, even in this scenario. Because how easy it is to just fight back and go against and and get threatening with the people that are threatening you. Like that, like that's the natural bent that I have. Like if you wanna, if you come at me, if you try to mock me or you try to like, the, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm short, I don't know what it is. I, it's just the natural instinct that I wanna push back harder. And I love that Nehemiah is seeing that his need to go against them, that's not the, that's not the reality. The more important thing is he goes to God. He goes to God. Because what's happening is you have, the reality is you have all these nations, the representative from the north, the south, the east, and the west around Jerusalem. And they're, the people of God are surrounded. We've already talked about how they are ill-equipped and outnumbered. And they're surrounded by the nations. 
And this is the reality that we see throughout the whole storyline of Scripture. If you look at Psalm chapter 2, you see this moment where you're seeing what's happening here has been talked about throughout Scripture. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. I love this. The one in heaven, or the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. And you're like, wait a second. Isn't God a God of love? Yes. But he is a God of justice. And it will never, his justice will never be messed up when it comes to the people going against him. Like he, he has to remain just. And because he is just, he is loving. And you're maybe thinking, Brandon, isn't Nehemiah asking God to destroy them? This, this messes up with my understanding of how loving God is. And I think the reality is we, oftentimes we ask that question of like, but, but God doesn't seem loving here. And surely God won't answer Nehemiah's prayer here because that doesn't, that doesn't fit into his character. And we don't realize that the oppression that is coming and the, the task that's trying to be accomplished in destroying God's plans, and God will never stand for that. God is a God of justice and mercy and love, yes. But those that oppose him and his plans must be met with God's justice. Look at uh, Psalm 5. Psalm 5, 5 and 6 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies, and the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Like that language, you destroy those who speak lies, and the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. We have to see that when things come against God, God doesn't say, well, they just don't know better. He is a just God. And so really what's happening here is Nehemiah is praying, ultimately calling on God's, God for action against their unrepented sin. And possibly in God allowing this to happen, it can lead to their repentance. But Nehemiah is more concerned about God's plans going forward. And I think it's important to see that nothing is gonna stop his plans. So we look at verse six. So Nehemiah prays this pretty intense prayer and he says, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So Nehemiah prays this prayer and then the people of God, they get to work. They make a resolve that we are going to do this. We're gonna get to work and keep going that it doesn't matter what they say to us, we're gonna keep going. And I think some of us need to hear that this morning, that it doesn't matter what they're saying to you, it doesn't matter what your coworkers say to you, it doesn't matter what the world is saying, that Christians should just be quiet and they shouldn't speak up. We gotta keep going. Because it's always been this way, that the people that, are not in the, that have not belonged to the kingdom of God will not see God's plans as a good thing. And the enemy will always oppose the work of God. So they get to work. 
So second thing I want you to see, first thing, the work of God will always be met with opposition. Second thing I want you to see is go to God. Like when things get rough, go to God and then get back to work. Go to God and keep on going. I think it would have been so easy for the people of God. It's so easy for us that when people start mocking us because we stand up for the truth of what scripture says or we try to share our faith or we are, we're, we're, not, we're unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and people start speaking against us or saying things, it's so easy to shrink back. It's so easy to just be like, it's not worth it. It's not worth the ridicule. It's not worth the headache. It's just easier to come here, lift my hands high in worship, serve here where everyone is all about what I'm doing and then be quiet out there. And Nehemiah is like, no, we're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep going. Verse seven, but when Sambal and Tebian and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that the breaches were, being, uh, were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So you see this moment where they've, they've started mocking. Now the opposition starts increasing. It starts right, like leveling up if you will. They've seen that the people of God have not succumbed to their mocking and their ridicule and they've kept working and they've started closing up breaches. They started securing the city and it frustrates them. They were very angry and they come up with a plot. They come up with a plot not to just say more mean things but to actually cause harm, to actually cause harm. They wanna stop the work of God. And I love this. Look again at Nehemiah's response in verse nine. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Look at this. Once again, Nehemiah's like, it's not even worth engaging them. Just let's pray. Let's believe that prayer is a mighty thing that does things, that it is actually the greater work. And let's pray and then let's take action. So they pray and they take protective action and we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get going on. But I think so often we, like maybe, maybe it's so easy for us that when we do face the opposition as Christians, which if you haven't felt, I feel like it is increasing. Not to be a shocking message though. If we're shocked that opposition towards the message of Jesus is increasing against us as believers, I don't think we're reading this. You've never been promised that carrying the, the mission forward will be easy. And if you have been promised that, you've been lied to. Jesus said, hey, they hate you because they hated me first. You know what they did to Jesus? They beat him they ridiculed him and they hung him on a cross. And I think in 2023, we're like, but why don't they like us? <laughs> we're nice. We're friendly. We do good things. Or more on that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 10. In Judah, it was said, so now, so we've seen, so far we've seen two different 
waves of opposition from external forces. Now let's look at an opposition that comes from within. In Judah, it was said that the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to build the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Hear this now. Like Nehemiah, Nehemiah is an incredible leader who is steadfast, that has a vision from the Lord and a faith that God is going to accomplish the work and he's rallying the troops. But this opposition from these other nations where they've ridiculed them and now they've threatened them physically is starting to weigh on them. And I read this quote, I think it's important when it comes to understanding this, it says, external pressure amplifies internal weakness. External pressure amplifies internal weakness. If you're weak in your faith, if you have doubt about what God can do, which, hey, welcome, we all have that. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have some level of doubt that they're wrestling with. Welcome. Your doubt is welcomed here. Our God's big enough and good enough to give you the answers you need in the time you need. But when we have these in, this internal weakness, when external pressure comes, we crumble. It's why hey, our part of our, the main focus of who we are as Chess Mountain is to make disciples because if we're not equipping and discipling people, like walking hand in hand with them, when you go out there and it, the message isn't welcomed like it is in here, it's so easy to crumble. And the enemy can just whisper that lie, hey, wasn't it easier before? Isn't it just easier to keep to yourself? He's already lost you, like heaven lost, or heaven's gained you and hell's lost you. So the enemy just wants to cripple you. And to be able to say, no, 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 no. Even if I can't see what you're doing, God, I trust you. And so you have this internal weakness start forming up in the people of God. And you start having this moment. The strength of us who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. You start having this moment. The opposition against us is too great. Like, they're too strong. They, they're, they're too mean. They could take us out if they want to. This task is too big. You're starting to see the people, like, when Nehemiah is going around and he's seeing, like, oh my gosh, this is massive. But he presses in. He pushes in, knows that it takes the whole people to do this. And now the people are saying, this is too much. The rubble's too much. We're tired. We're weak. We have these other brothers and sisters coming in and saying, just come back with us. Just come back with us. Wouldn't it be easier if you just stopped? Man, is that not a voice in our head today? Maybe this is just for me. Maybe it's just me that's like, maybe this is just too hard. And there's rumors spreading that they're, they're, not just, they're not just threatening, but they're actually planning to attack us when we don't know. Either in day or at night, they're coming against us. They wanna kill everyone. And these Jews are pleading to stop, just return, get away from this. Can you relate to like within your Christian circle, this opposition to keep going. 
I think it's, I think we sometimes just think, hey, the enemy just works outside of these walls. But that he can actually use us to stop the mission of God going forward. Think about it. If you, if you have pursued obedience, think about the life that Nehemiah is living. It's like these mountaintops. He's like, ask the king in faith that he'll do this and, and he's done it. And, and as Pastor Brandon a few weeks talked about, like there has to be this moment where it's like shocking. Like, oh, you're gonna give me that? Let me ask a little more. It's this mountaintop moment where the people of God are finally going to get to go home and rebuild the city. And now all of a sudden they're starting to get into the valley. Listen, the Christian lives a lot of times down in the valley. And you have to learn how to fight out of it. But I think if you've, if you've pursued obedience, you will always face opposition. The enemy hates what we're doing. And he's real. And he hates you. And so when you are, you're like in your spirit, when you feel burdened towards something, that this is where God's called me to do. He's called me to share with this person or serve in this community or go into this dark place. And all of a sudden you're not met with welcoming arms, but you're met with opposition. You are exactly where God wants you. But isn't God, like God wouldn't let me get harmed. Have we read this? Happens all the time, and sounds like the flood's coming. I don't know. <laughs> I know we were all thinking it. But think about this. It's, it's like this idea when they say, when they come to him, and they said to us 10 times, you must return to us. It's that idea of the Christian going, hey, I know like, th that you're facing this. Surely that can't be from God. Surely God wouldn't want you to experience this. God's too good for that to happen to you. God loves you. He would never want you to hurt. He would never want you to suffer. If this is for God, you, God, God would never let you experience this. He wants you to be safe. And I think that's the biggest lie from the enemy. He wants you to be smart. Nehemiah is brilliant in what he does. But risk is right. Where the mission of God has been called to, listen, there's so many unreached people groups where the gospel has never gone to. The message of Jesus, they've never heard of Jesus. Do you know why they're unreached? Because they're hard to get to. Do you know why there's dark communities in this area where the gospel is not welcomed? It's because darkness doesn't love light. And we're still supposed to go. But I love this. Nehemiah doesn't allow these voices to enter and he doesn't allow the people of God to believe these voices. He calls his people away from the voices. Look at this in verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It's this rally cry from Nehemiah. 
We're gonna station people. We're gonna, we're gonna put up strongholds to protect the people. Remember God. This is Nehemiah calling on them to remember what God has done. And I love it. Brandon, uh, a few weeks ago when he was talking about, he, he, he quoted what Greg Worley always says to us. Hope isn't a plan. I just hope this works out. No, no, Nehemiah sets up practical plans on how to protect the people and then he calls them to go deeper into their faith. Remember the Lord. I think for all of us that have been following Jesus, we can remember times when God has done unimaginable things and showed up in unimaginable ways and done what we couldn't ever hope or dream of. And we have to remember back on that. He's calling them to remember. Do you not remember that God brought Israel out of Egypt? He split the sea. He provided in the desert. He gave them the promised land. Remember God. But it's hard. Remember God. But Brandon, they hate me. They're threatening me. They're coming against me. Remember God and fight is the message Nehemiah gives them. And I think it's the message we must hear because we are such a people so easily to forget what God has done. And we're seeing a move of God right now, I believe, here at CMC. And if we're not careful, we'll become complacent. It's easy, it's fun. There's really not a lot of opposition. We share the gospel and people come to know Jesus. But what happens when it gets tough? Are we gonna forget what God has done, that God has allowed us to see life after life after life changed? And the darkness pushed back in our community? Fight for one another. So remember what God has done. Remember, here, first point I want you to remember today. The work of God will always be met with opposition. Go to God and keep on going. And then I want you to remember God, remember what God has done and then keep going. So keep going to God. Recall the memories. Write in a journal. Do whatever you have to to remember what God has done in your life. Remember what God has done in the text, in this beautiful book and keep going. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had, listen, that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. When the enemies heard what God, like heard that their, what their plan to come against them was known, and that God frustrated their plan, look at God working in powerful ways. We returned to work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Look at this, I love this text. You see God's sovereignty show up, that God frustrates the plans of the enemy because they've gone to God. They've been honest with God. They've asked God to do what they cannot do. They can, listen, if, the, if these surrounding nations wanted to take Israel, if they wanted to destroy the work, they easily could have done it. But they didn't have Yahweh on their side. The enemy wants you to believe that you, the task that God's called you to, you personally to, 
to your family, to your work, to your neighborhood, to the world is not possible. But you have to remember that God is a a sovereign, an all-controlling God. And he goes before you. God is at work for his people. He is sovereign, but they are responsible to to build the wall. God could easily, miraculously snap his fingers and the wall be restored, but God is calling them into the work. Do you know why? Do you know why God's called you to advance the kingdom of God into the world? Because he could just do it. He could part the sky and be like, it's me, believe in me, and the world would. Because if you walked outside those wall, or these doors and the sky opened up and God said, I'm God, believe in me, I bet you would. But he's chosen to go through us because it builds our faith and our love for him, even when it's tough. So Nehemiah sets up these plans for them to build the wall while they're prepared to fight. Don't you love this image that with one hand they're building the wall and one hand they're holding their sword? They're prepared for anything and everything. And I think it's such an important image for us today. Because listen, if you go to just build the wall and you're not ready to fight, when the opposition comes, you'll crumble. If you're not if you don't know how to fight and what, it's, what he's calling you to, then you'll crumble. And if you go just ready to fight and not ready to build, you'll be ineffective. I think a lot of us have that little like fire inside of us that we just kind of want to fight. We want to argue, we want to debate, but we don't want to serve, we don't want to build. And that doesn't go anywhere. So Nehemiah is not calling them to evoke their second amendment and just say, hey, I have this right to carry this. No, he's fighting for what God has called. What God has placed on them, being ready to fight against the enemy. And for us, I think it's important to understand actually who our enemy is. Because it's not the news. Like there's influences all around us and people by the enemy, but they're not the enemy. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, for with it you, will, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, and with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul's just giving you the weapons you need 
to walk in holiness and righteousness because we don't fight flesh and blood. I, I think we, we have this, such a low view of what's happening. We don't understand there's a spiritual war going on that we can't physically see. And we're believing all the lies of the enemy. We're believing the ridicule and the hate speech. And we're believing the threats against us physically as that can stop God. So we don't go to him. We go to Facebook and we complain about things. Or we sit paralyzed or we just come in, in our holy huddle and we don't do anything. And Nehemiah's like, no, 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 we're going to be ready. We're gonna keep building and we're gonna be ready to fight. With one hand, we have our... We have our sword and the other we have our hammer. We're going. We're ready to fight spiritual warfare and we're ready to build the kingdom. We fight a spiritual battle. And this may come from another person or an organization or what it may be, but they're not the enemy, ultimately. They just believe the enemy. And they have been revealed to the truth of who God is. And if they're standing in your way advancing the kingdom, it's probably because they're there so you can share the gospel. We've been given the battle plan. And it's this. So, are you ready to, for the battle? Are you ready to help protect your brother and sister against the attacks of the enemy when they feel discouraged and they're beaten down and they have doubts of what God wants to do? Are you ready to call them up to something higher, to lift up their eyes so they would see that God has a plan? Verse 19, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. Half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I said also to the people at that time, let every man, his servant, pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor the brothers nor my servants nor the men on guard who follow me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon in his right hand. Nehemiah sets the people, gives them the plan. Hey, if the attack comes, we'll blow the trumpet, go there. Man, are you close enough to the people so when the attack comes that you're ready to rally there? Are you ready to fight for one another? Are you ready to fight for the kingdom of God? Or are we just gonna sit back and hope it happens? The kingdom will be advanced. His plans, God's plans will not be destroyed. They will not be stopped. The question is, are you gonna be a part of it? Are you gonna be a part of what God wants to do here at Chester Mountain or here in the state or in the world? Are you gonna sit by and watch others engage? Are you gonna to listen to the others that say, come, it's not worth it? It can't be that hard if God's for it. We don't go at this alone. That's why you have one another. That's why we talk about groups so much around here. You need each other. 
But more than that, we don't do this in our own power. We do it because God has already given us the battle. He is sovereign. We are responsible. He is control. And we're called to work. So the question I want you to answer today really is, hey, where are you burdened? Where are you burdened for God to do what he wants? Like, where are you burdened that God would move in your heart? Where has he called you to? Where are you doubting that he wants to do something in, with you, through you, in this world? Where have you believed the lies of the enemy or where have you settled to not go even when it's difficult? Because listen, when he calls, he resources. When he calls, he provides. And when he calls, we must act. And he's called us. As Brian said a minute ago at the baptism pool, the Great Commission isn't that they come here, it's that we go. And he didn't give that command to just a few, he gave it to all believers in all places at all times, go and make disciples. The opposition is real. And be encouraged, when you face opposition, it's because you're doing what God's called you to. But if we're gonna give our lives to something more than just making much of us, if we wanna give our lives to making much of Jesus and building his kingdom, listen, you have to be convinced that he's worth it. Because when, when this comes, when this opposition comes against you, when the lies of the enemy says, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you know, like, do you know who you are and what you've done? When those lies come or when the Christian in your life says, don't, like, it's not worth it. Just settle for easy. If you don't have this view of God as being worthy and beautiful and all powerful and loving towards you that he hung on the cross for you and for me to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf that we might have life in him. And Jesus says, not just that we might have life, but have life to the full. If we don't see that, if we don't see God as this beautiful, this all-powerful, this majesty, like the majesty of God on display, then we will always settle to do nothing. But if we see him as beautiful and as worthy of our whole lives, it does not matter what comes our way. Because who are we to fear? Like Paul tells us, who are we to fear? We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And listen, Paul was one that was acquainted with suffering. He knew it. He said, it's not worth comparing to the future glory that will be revealed. Keep going. Keep going. Look to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Keep going. If we see him as just a hobby for Sundays or something else just to appease our spouse, our mom, our dad, our grandparent, or whoever, that we will never be willing to face the opposition to meet God in prayer and go to battle. So where are you today? What lies have you believed? Where do you need to be encouraged? Where do you need to go no matter what? Where do you need to repent for your lack of trust in God as you faced opposition? Because this is what I've had to wrestle with all week. How and where do you need to equip yourself? Like, do you have people pouring into you, like speaking truth over you, saying, listen, though the oppression is great, God is greater. 
And maybe today, though, you've just never trusted him. Maybe you've never seen him as someone that would love you or good enough, and if he is good, then he doesn't know me. If he is good, then why is this all happening? And I want you to hear, the power of the Spirit wants you to know that Jesus is for you. And he died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath that, was, that is due, like, will be poured out on all sin that is unrepentant. And he's made a way. He's made a way for you and he's made a way for me if we would trust and believe upon his death and resurrection for life. So maybe today, that's the call in your life. Maybe you're wrestling with that. I want you to know this altar is open and we are down here. We'd love to show you in scripture what it means to follow Jesus. But if you do follow Jesus, may we not settle to just watch as others do the work. May we join in the fight. May we go to war to see the mission of God go forward in the world. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.